of my favorite movies growing up or movie franchises was Back to the Future. Any other Back to the Future fans there? I know. Great movie, great movies, I should say. In fact, the first movie came out the year that I was born. And so if you are wanting to find out my more or less exact age, you can Google that after the service. Pay attention between now and then. Now, the second movie, Back to the Future 2, made quite a few bold predictions about the date, October 21st, 2015. And many of you might remember that day when it came to reality, when we actually were in 2015, we could look back and see all those things that they predicted in the 1980s and how many of them came true. And with these bold predictions, there were a number of them that were good predictions. It looked forward and saw that we would have a version of a virtual reality headset. Which, which is now something we actually have. In fact, this was one of my dad's retirement gifts that we gave him. He graduated too. He's graduating from working, being a productive member of society at the end of this month. <laughs> and we got him a VR headset, and they had a version of that predicted in Back to the Future 2. They said 3D movies would be a thing, and that came true. They even predicted a baseball team in Miami, which you know, we have the Miami Marlins, did not exist when that movie was created. But there was a few predictions that were less than accurate. They said that we would have hoverboards, not the, not the hoverboard that, that my, my kids have that still have wheels, but ones that actually hover. We've yet to get that far. Or the self-lacing sneakers, which aren't really a thing, though Nike did make a few special pairs in 2015 as more of a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts to the movie. And then they also had this view of the future, which included fax machines all over the place. And and that, thankfully, has not come to pass. We've, we've evolved our technology in a different way. Back to the future. Well, today, this morning, in the time we have together, we are going to back to the future in, in a way. We are going to look back at the past to see what God has done. His, and his perfect track record will recognize, helps us trust him to do the same in the future. So we are going to look back in order to trust in the future. Back to the future. And, and, we, and we celebrated our grads. And, and this is a grad Sunday of sorts, and including the Sunday school picnic as well. And, and many of you are looking forward to the future. In fact, all of you, hopefully, in some way are looking forward to the future. Whether you have an exact plan, or whether you are going in, into a specific track at school, or whether you're going to the workforce, or whether or not you just, you made it through grad weekend, and now you have no idea what's next. But the future is a specific focus for you. But all of us look to the future. And so whether we are graduating, uh, whether we are graduating from the workforce or changing jobs, or whether we are just looking to the future in our journey of life, we want to also obey the call of Scripture to look back because it's important to us all. And as we do so, I'd invite you to pray with me one time to help focus our minds on God. Heavenly Father, Today is a good day to be together and to be able to look forward to sharing a meal together and uh, playing some games outside together. And, and God, just to celebrate the ministry year that you brought us through, that, that we've been able to see our students grow in, in stature and in maturity of you, that we've been able to spend this last year gathering together and learning from your word and proclaiming your praises. God, I pray that we would all be here today and saying we have grown in some way in our knowledge and understanding and relationship with you. And, and we want to celebrate that as we look forward to summer. And, and God, I do pray that we would be able to settle our hearts and minds during the next few minutes to be able to learn from your word together on how looking back propels us to the future. We commit this time to you and pray in your name. Amen.
When we look at, at the Old Testament in particular, there was a number of moments in which God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, faced really uncertain times. And specifically, it was as they were looking at the exile. They were being conquered by a foreign nation. Many of them were being drawn out of their homeland. They didn't know if they would ever be the kingdom or the people of Israel again. And as God's people faced that particular uncertain future, the prophet Isaiah urged them to remember the things that God had done for them in the past. He says, I know things are looking dire, but what I want you to do is remember what God has done and remember who he is. And I'll read for you Isaiah 63 verses 7 to 11, where the prophet says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But... They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put them in the midst of his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock, they go down into the valley. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. So at this moment in which God himself is even an active agent in bringing the people out of the Holy Land into exile as, as a way to righteously punish them as a consequence for not upholding their end of the covenant, even when it feels like God may not be on their side, there is a deep call to remember exactly what God has done. And in particular, the story that the prophet urges the people to remember is the story of Exodus, which is that retold, many times retold story of God's deliverance of his people in the Old Testament. The Exodus story, it has this, this backdrop of the children of Israel being enslaved by the Egyptians, and they call out for God's help, and he moves to deliver them in a mighty and miraculous way through the ten plagues where water was turned to blood, where he had this plague of frogs and gnats and flies, where all the Egyptian livestock died. He had boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and everything culminating in the Passover. That one terrible evening where the Lord sent the angel of death to take the firstborn child of every family, passing over all those households that had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And this was God not only delivering his people, but doing it in an undeniable way. The fashion in which it happened was made everybody who was, was watching, whether it was the, the Israelites or the Egyptians, none of them could come up with any explanation other than the fact that they were enslaved and God moved and delivered his people. There was no other way to understand or to explain what was happening. And I think it's important to notice that as God does this, at the very beginning, when he, when he does the Passover and then finally the people are freed, God instructs his people to remember this event 
by giving them the Passover and commanding them to observe that festival each and every year. It becomes a milestone event, a marker of what it means to be one of God's people. And God knows from this time that it's important for us as God's people to remember these things that he does to delivers us, deliver us. He tells us that remembering God's saving work is important. But the Exodus story didn't end there. They were delivered and freed from the Egyptians, and then they fled into the wilderness. And God was with his people. He led them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And when they got to the Red Sea, God held back the waters of the sea so that his people could safely cross. And yet when the Egyptians, who had changed their mind, were pursuing God's people and wanted to cross through the waters themselves, God took his hand away and the Egyptians were swept away and destroyed in the water. And look at the reaction of God's people in Exodus 14.31. This is what they felt in the moment. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. It was undeniable. They saw the plagues. They saw the pillar of God's presence. They saw him hold back the waters and then let them go again. And that evidence of what God had done drove them to this deep belief in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And yet that Exodus story still is not done. It would be great if that was the end of the story and the people believed forever and ever. Amen. But that's not what happened. Because when they were hungry and grumbling, God sent bread from heaven called manna. And then Israel settled for a time around the base of Mount Sinai, where Moses was called up to meet the Lord and to receive the law and the covenant. And now Moses was gone a long time. And despite all of the evidence, again, of this undeniable movement of God to deliver his people, you'd think that that Israel would never forget those things, that they would never forget those moments, that it, it would not ever be something that they could leave behind, and yet they did. They forgot, and their forgetfulness led to doubt. And as Moses was taking longer than expected in the presence of the Lord, the people convinced his brother Aaron to create for them a false idol in the shape of a golden calf. And they forgot, and then they doubted, and then they worshipped someone who was not that one true God who had proven himself. And God was so angry with his people that he was prepared to destroy them and start over with Moses until Moses begs for God's mercy. And God relented. But can you blame God for being so angry and disappointed? How could he do so obvious and so many miracles and then have that same group of people be so quick to forget? Just like the Israelites we need to remember God's work in the past in order to trust him in the present and in the future. So where forgetfulness leads to doubt, remembering leads to trust. Now, despite the span of years, thousands of them, human nature is quite the same. You may find the same tendency that I do to, to read these stories about the Israelites, to see how quickly they forget, to see how easy they doubt, to see how fickle they are and say, I would never be that way. I would, if I saw the plagues, if, if I witnessed the presence of God as a pillar of fire, if I walked through the Red Sea with water being held back on either side, I would never doubt. I would never forget. And if we say those things we are truly deceiving ourselves. I see the same tendency in myself 
to forget and therefore to eventually doubt. And so we need to heed the call to remember in such a way that leads to trust. Because I have parts of my story in which I believe I can clearly see the hand of God working in my circumstances. And it may not have been deliverance from slavery or a pillar of fire or holding back the waters, but God has clearly been at work in my life, and I remember these things when I can. I've told you this story before, but when I think of God working in circumstances, I always think of how he had brought me to the place of of where my family and I are now. And it began all the way back as a teenager when I was living in Dallas, Texas, about to move back to Canada. And I was uh, playing drums with my youth worship band, and we had a guest band come in and lead worship. And and they led an acoustic worship set where they were playing a djembe, which is a hand drum. It's different. This is a cajon. This is not it. I probably should have used my djembe today. Would have been on topic. But the djembe, and, and the guy was just, his hands are flying, and I was enthralled by it. And my, my bandmates said, do you think you could play that thing? I was like, it's one drum. How hard can it be? And so, and so, and they said, okay. And a few months later, when I was prepared to move, they gave me a, a going away present, and it was this brand new djembe, this hand drum. I thought, wow, isn't that great? What a sentimental gift. And so then I moved to Canada, and I spent two years there finishing high school, and I, I only played that djembe maybe a handful of times. It sat in the corner of my room collecting dust as a a nice going-away present, something with sentimental value. And then when I graduated high school, and this is, again, it was a long time ago. My my wife and I were going to Alberta in July, and she said, I'll be there just in time for the 20th reunion. I said, 20th reunion of what? She's like, high school. I'm like, we are not, oh, oh, no. (laughs) So, again, now you know how old I am if you do your math. When I graduated high school, I chose to go to Providence College. That was where I wanted to go. And when I got there, there was a few worship teams. And I was like, well, maybe I should audition for a worship team. And then one of them was Aslan's Child, and you had to have a drum set. I said, I don't own one of those. The other one was called Once Lost. It says, you have to have a djembe. I was like, I've got one in my car. I guess I could audition for that. And so I took this djembe. I hadn't played for two years. I auditioned. I made the team. And I got to know my bandmates. And there was one really cute girl there by the name of Karen Anderson. She no longer goes by that last name. So what an odd way to have a very specific thing need to come to fruition where I could meet the person that would become my future wife. My family was put on a distinct path based on that one event of seeing somebody else play a djembe. Now, you could chalk that up to circumstance, but there's been far too many of those circumstances in my life to to, to ignore the hand of God. And so if you are especially a young person, a student who has just graduated, and you're looking at life in front of you, I want to tell you God cares for and is able to take care of you in your circumstances and in your situations. He will lead you, sometimes in ways that you do not expect and don't even realize until years down the road. But when I think of the importance of remembering, and as I've lived more and more life on the other side of that high school graduation, I've become aware that it is sometimes not the celebrations of life in which we see God's faithfulness. It is the valleys and the loss and the hardship and the grief. And that, in the middle of the valley, that is where I've experienced God's presence and his leading and his faithfulness in a way unlike any other time in life. And so grads, even when things go wrong, even when they don't go according to plan, even when you don't have a fun, exciting story to share, it is in those moments when things go awry in which God proves his faithfulness the most. 
in which you need him the most and he proves himself to be there. Those are the stories that sometimes are the most meaningful. And when I have lost my stillborn daughter or my mom and her battle to cancer, those are the stories that I go to most often to remember the very tangible presence of God and his faithfulness. Those are the stories, as, as uncomfortable as they are, that help me look back to trust God more in the future. But we need to do this remembering because doubt is our default setting. This is what we learn from the Israelites. If you just kind of go with the flow, if you're just dealing with your circumstances as they come, if you're just dealing with human nature as it is, then we don't remember and trust. We, we drift into forgetfulness and doubt. And so the remembering that we do needs to happen on purpose. It needs to be intentional. That remembrance intentionally leads to trust, which is why God gave Israel the Passover. He says, I moved in such a a significant way, but I know he'll forget. And so I'm going to give you this this festival, this meal that you are to, to observe each and every year to remember what I have done for my people. It is why Jesus instituted communion or the Lord's Supper as he was observing Passover. He was about to go to the cross and do something that was eternal deliverance and salvation. He says, I know you will forget. I know that doubt is your default setting. Therefore, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. But the end goal is not to remember. The end goal is to remember so that it leads us to a deeper trust in who God is and what he will do. So what can we do to remember. I think there are some practical ways in which we can fight against the, the default of doubt. We can remember in such a way that helps us trust by, by taking part in some of these church traditions. We don't have a lot of, of traditions in, in, in Stony Brook here. We're fairly informal. Come, we're an evangelical church. We don't have sacraments, but we do have two ordinances. And both of them are ways in which we remember what God has done. We have the ordinance of baptism and that's where we, we celebrate that, that the old is, is put to death and the new person has been transformed in Christ. And, and we hear these stories at baptism that are so powerful and effective of what God has done in somebody's life. And then, yes, we gather together on a regular basis to celebrate communion, to remember the salvation found in Christ alone. That is what he has done for us. We remember him. We also remember when we read Scripture, in particular, not just doing your devotions as something to check off the list, but to to read about God's track record of faithfulness. That's why the Bible is so important in our remembrance. We, We read about the Exodus and how he was faithful. We read about the exile and how the people eventually did return to Israel because of God's faithfulness. And we have all of these stories about people who could not do what they needed to do on their own, and they needed God to come through, and he did. So you want to know God's track record above and beyond your own life and your own story? Go to the Word of God. We can also remember intentionally through journaling. Okay, sorry guys, I think I lost about 50% of the congregation right here because there's a lot of men, I'm never writing my feelings down, right? So I don't have a diary. Just hear me out for a second. If we can be people who write down, not every day, But when God does something in your life, if you write it down, it immortalizes that moment when you knew at the depths of your heart that God had done something for you. You can do this together. You can do this on your own. I remember leading a youth uh, Bible study when I was a youth pastor. And what we did is we wrote down our prayer requests every week, but then we also wrote down how those prayer requests were answered. And at the end of the year, we went through it and we were blown away at the faithfulness of God. 
we had never felt that way in other years. Was that because God didn't answer those prayers? It's no, it's that we didn't take the time to remember them and to mark them and say, yes, God has done this. He has been good to me. And so whether you call it journaling or whether you call it a diary or whether you just take these moments that are unique in which God does something and you write them down somewhere, it can help you remember. And the last thing we can do to remember is to share our stories with one another. Because it is amazing and encouraging to know what God has done in your life. But when we see that he doesn't just do this for you, he does it for the person next to you and your friends and your family, and he's at work in this church. Now that is encouraging in a new and extremely different way. God's not just faithful to you. He's faithful to us. He's faithful to his people. We all have stories of God and working in such a way that's undeniable in our lives. And that's why I love to hear the stories of baptisms where people say, you know what, I was at rock bottom. And we've had some stories shared from this stage about moments in which that was, was, was hit, where rock bottom was there. And, and we have people that have been, become baptized. And the only reason that they are still with us today is because God spoke and God told them, you are loved, you are valuable, because God moved in a way that was undeniable and full of his character. How can that not help us deepen our trust in the Lord? The reason why remembering encourages trust is because God is constant. He's the same, always. His character is never changing. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we go to the word of God, and we see him work in in the Old Testament and in the New, and we see our stories here today. We know that God is the same. He is never changing. So that means if God was capable enough and gracious enough to work miracles for his people before, he remains capable enough and gracious enough to do so again. In Isaiah chapter 44, the prophet drives home this point. He says, the Lord, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Are you not my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. And the prophet declares that God alone, God alone is capable of knowing and holding your future in his hands. He alone is worthy. He alone holds our future as a church in his hands. But the reason remembrance leads to trust is not just that God is constant, but it is the character that he constantly is. Because if God was constantly fickle, if God was constantly harsh, if God was constantly distant, that wouldn't help us at all. But if we go back to the scripture that we read together at the very beginning, listen to the characteristics that Isaiah draws out. These are the characteristics of God that he constantly is. He is constantly full of steadfast love, of great goodness, of compassion, of salvation, of redemption for his people. It is one thing for God to be constant. It is another thing for him to be constantly loving, good, compassionate, saving and redeeming his people. Isaiah talks of God remembering the exodus of his people, remembering the exodus. It it doesn't mean that he, he changes. It describes his motivation to continually be this loving God towards his people. It will never stop. 
nothing can ever get in its way. It just goes and it goes and it goes. That, that, that phrase, steadfast love, is, is the most important phrase to understand the heart of God as described to his people in the Old Testament. It is this love that just continues to flow no matter what. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Anyone else here been to the Grand Canyon? I, I was really impressed. I never thought I'd be that impressed with a giant hole in the ground. But there we were, and it was so incredibly vast. But you look at this. You look at this, and what does it take for this to be made? It takes for this water to flow in the same direction over and over and over again. And it just flows and it flows and it flows and it flows. And it is so steady and steadfast in its flow that it chips away at the very rock and the earth itself. That is a picture of the steadfast love of God. And if this flow of love from God has been undeterred towards his people, even since he created us, how can that not help us trust in the future? Well, God has not only shown himself faithful to the children of Israel. He's not only shown himself faithful in your life, but he's also been faithful here at Stony Brook Fellowship. And seeing and sharing stories is one of the main critical ways in which we remember on purpose in order to trust. I've invited Pastor Earl and Carolyn to share a story with you about how they have experienced God's faithfulness here at Stony Brook in the past and how that can lead us to trust God more as we move forward. Boy, I could uh, just uh, resonate with a bunch of the stuff that Pastor Andrew just shared. Uh, But I'm just going to read what I've got to to stick to the time here. Uh, God's faithfulness. It is such a broad topic and yet very precise. Long ago, at the beginning of our time here, which was in 1998, and by the way, it's going to be 49 years of my graduation now. 49 years, not 20. (laughs) Okay, Okay. which was in 1998, we saw the faithfulness of God, and his faithfulness has grown and grown over the years. When we first arrived, the congregation was about 20 people who had planted Stony Brook a few years earlier. 20 people. And then things started growing. More people were filling up the sanctuary. The lobby had a buzz in it after church. A number of times, Earl and I would just stand back in the lobby and wonder what God was up to. It was amazing. I tell you this not to emphasize the fact that people were filling up the church, but I tell you this because of God's faithfulness. God was faithful in bringing in people who were hurting, people who came from churches that were not teaching the word of God, people who came who were curious about God, people who came who were broken, people with baggage. There were times when it seemed like almost all of the time was spent with people who were takers, people with extreme emotional needs, people who drained us, people with huge, with huge hurts. But with that, God also brought in people who could help, people who grew in their faith, people who loved to serve, people with big hearts to give of themselves, people like you. God provided. He was faithful and sent people who could, who could and would help, serve, give, show love and support. And so with time, people, some people came and some people left. And with time, a number who left called years later and thanked Stony Brook 
for being there for them, for guiding them, and for loving them through their rough seasons. I say this so that we can see that God's faithfulness is not in numbers. It's not in growing big and growing fast. It's not in, being, in, in having the most programs or the latest worship style. Because God is faithful, Stony Brook is a safe place for everyone, a place where the Bible is clearly preached, where there is a lot of love, where anyone can come to grow in their faith. It's not about numbers. It's about God's faithfulness as we continue to serve him. It's about heart and it's about soul. Um, our five minutes are up. Uh, I want to uh, piggyback on what she was saying. There's a lot of things I could share with you. Some of them I've told you over the years. For those of you who have not been here as long, uh, we were the uh, first pastors at Stony Brook and were here for 20 years. Um, <clears throat> but I want to, I, I thought about uh, the occasion when... Uh, Harvey Weeb, I don't know how many of you remember him, but uh, he, was, he died young. He died in his 50s. And he and his wife were, were uh, part of this church. I it was, uh, I would say, a good friend with him. Um, and uh, he, he passed away uh, suddenly, and uh, I conducted the funeral for him. Uh, it was a very large funeral. There was... Uh, uh, a viewing service and a service. Uh, I believe that the viewing service had more people in it than I probably that would almost combine all the people that have ever attended a funeral I've ever done. It was just it was huge. Uh, but that's not my story. Uh, that, uh, but I want to tell you that that we conducted that viewing service. It was at the Birktaller Church in uh, in Grunthal because that's where he lived. But. Uh, so we conducted that service in the evening and, uh, you know, really met hundreds of people and, and talked to, you know, preached and all that. When uh, I was very tired, we got home and I, I just said, I got I to gotta veg out. I went down in the basement and started watching TV and mindlessly and just uh, vegging out. Uh, I noticed the phone ring and the phone uh, and Carol, uh, Carolyn says, do you want to answer? No, no, I don't want to answer. <laughs> she, she answers the phone. And I'm, I'm sort of half listening. Uh, what's going on here? And it was quite a long conversation. And uh, Carolyn, I could tell, was getting a little emotional. And I couldn't quite figure it all out. But uh, eventually she hung up. And, and she called down to me, Earl! You won't believe who it is that just called. I said, no, I'm pretty sure I can't. <laughs> well, just come up here. I got to tell you this. This is this. You got to hear about this. Okay. I got out of my easy, lazy boy and went upstairs. And she says, do you know who that was? I don't even know her name. You know, the, the woman, they used to attend this church years ago, and you, you tried to help them. They had a bad marriage, and, and everything was, uh, uh, you know, it didn't seem to work. They just wandered off, didn't, didn't uh, apply what they had learned and stuff. 
That's, it was her. Do you remember what her, what was her name? What was her name? And we just couldn't actually remember the name, but uh, we figured out who it was. So this is the story. She had been in an attendance at this viewing service. She hadn't seen me in probably the five or six years since they had been attending the church. And she hadn't had the nerve to come and talk to me after the service. But she said, the Lord complete, uh, uh, compelled me that I need to call that pastor and his wife and tell them what has happened in my life. And this is what happened. She was, at the time they attended our church, she was married uh, uh, to a man, I think, for, who was in his second marriage. Uh, they had a number of uh, children, and they were at odds. I mean, they were just, their marriage was not working. It, 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 and, and it was a very desperate situation, really. Uh, and I tried to help them. I went down to their house uh, a few times. Uh, uh, it was, this, was, this was not typical counseling. This was crisis counseling. This was absolute crisis. Well, they moved, they, very, they dropped out of church and they moved away. She tells the story that eventually their marriage broke up. Then she married uh, or she uh, met another man and they started attending a church nearby where they lived. And uh, he, she, he, she and her soon-to-be husband uh, came to know the Lord, made things right with the Lord, got, uh, you know, got healing for all the baggage and the hurt and everything, the things that had uh, happened to them in their life. And they were faithfully and just enjoying the Lord and walking in the, in the faith. And, and she, says, uh, she said to Carolyn, Carolyn, you have to tell him. You have to tell him. It wasn't his fault. He tried. He told us what we needed to hear. But we weren't ready to listen then. All these years go by. And you think, where's God? You know, you try and try and try to do stuff. Try to be good, teach and all that. And then you get a phone call. God's faithful. God was faithful. And you had, of course, we all had a part of that. I, I wish I could tell you who the name, the name of the people. You probably would know them. But anyways, thank you. Thank you, Earl and Carolyn, for sharing uh, some of those stories and perspectives on that. And I want us to be encouraged. I mean, God has been at work in, in Stony Brook, uh, and, and, and God is at work now. And, and I get excited about the future, uh, not because I, I see that there is this specific plan that's laid out for our church. In fact, there could be great amounts of uncertainty. I get excited for the future when we remember what God has done, and His faithfulness will be true. We think about this together we also think about what God has done for us. In any situation, talking about the faithfulness of God, we can't ignore what he did through Jesus. Because God ultimately proved himself faithful through sending his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. 
And we think back to all of those constant characteristics that Isaiah brought forward. Who God is, always, 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 this full of steadfast love and great goodness, compassion, salvation, and redemption. All of these were proven and poured out on the cross. That is where we see it the clearest. And Jesus also instituted the Lord's Supper to be designed as a way for us to remember his sacrifice, to remember the salvation available through him, and to remember his faithfulness and the kind of God that we serve and that loves us. So I invite our uh, musicians to come back up, and we are going to remember what Jesus did for us. And that is going to be our, our task and our goal here. We're not going to just say, hey, Remember by reading the Bible. We, we're going to remember by looking at the Bible together. Remember by sharing stories. We shared stories together. Remember by celebrating communion. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us. Remember the constant character of God's love. And may it lead each and every one of us into a greater and deeper trust in him. So we're going to pray for communion. And when I am done this prayer, I'm going to invite you to come forward and take the elements just a reminder that the Lord's Supper is for all of us who have placed our trust in Christ to remember what he has done. And so if you are new or you're visiting here, this is not the Stony Brook Fellowship Supper. This is the Lord's Supper. If you've taken that step of faith, we want to invite you to participate with us. Uh, if you haven't taken that step of faith yet, then I'd ask you to, to wait. But if you want to talk more to me about it, uh, I'd be more than happy to avoid playing some of the games after lunch today. We'll talk to you about Jesus instead and each and every time after that. We're going to invite you forward in just a moment's time. You can take the elements and you can return to your seat and just wait with the cup and the cracker. And then once everyone has received and gone back to their seats, then I will lead us and we will take together. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Lord Jesus, we see your love, your steadfast love that just flows and it flows and it flows. And Father, it flowed perfectly at the through the blood of Jesus. May we never take this for granted. May it never become a Sunday school answer. May it never be something we just expect to hear and see on Sunday morning. May it never just become a worldview or set of beliefs. God, may we remember what you have done for us to give up your own life so that we can be with you. And may we remember in such a way that leads us to trust. And so the uncertainty of the future will fade because we know that it is in your hands. And that love of the cross is as true today as it was at the moment that it was shed. Father, we, we remember you well today. 